What's a revolution? What's a revolution? Dr. Sanjaya, what's a revolution? Uh, I help people have better sex. <laughs> it doesn't seem on first, at first, you know, on the first time you hear it, it doesn't seem so revolutionary. People have been having sex since the beginning of time, but have they been having the sex that they want to have? Have they been having what I would call high quality good sex? And people are like, what's good sex? And I'm like, okay, first of all, orgasms weren't involved. Probably wasn't so great. <laughs> but beyond that, what really is good sex? And that, I think that really changes over our lifespan, over our lifespan. Can I have your attention for a moment? What's good, Revolution? Welcome to the What's Your Revolution show. So for men and the people who love them, we'll discuss how men can find and embrace the revolution within themselves. Where people can find and embrace the revolution within themselves. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corcoran. What's good, revolutionaries? It feels like it's been a little while. Life has been moving. Spring has sprung. We've been doing our things. The sundress and seersucker season. We are out here looking good, folks. Hopefully you have a chance to... You have a chance to make sure that that, that summer tan is going to get you right. Thank you to my folks. Uh, I was in New Orleans a couple weeks ago for Jazz Fest. And as you know, on this show, I talk about my love, my love of New Orleans. And I am a New Orleanian through and through. Thank you for the wonderful time, the wonderful opportunity to be with friends and family and to revel in this space. We are coming out of COVID. We have the ability to find community as I talk about so much in this space. What does that look like for you, revolutionaries? Finding and spending time with your community, reveling, allowing them to love on you and being in space. And spring is also a time of renewal. And I'm hoping that you are finding ways to have self-care, to learn more about yourself, to figure out what that looks like in the mirror and outside and how are you being you? How are you growing? I know for me, as I begin to, uh, the, the opportunistic time of year for me is when I get to celebrate my birthday. And we don't talk about how old I am anymore, but um, I, am, I am enjoying this time in my life and really exploring who I am, what I like to do, who I want to be with, who I want to spend time with. And part of that is also exploring my sexuality, right? How does that feel? What does good sex feel like and who do I want to have sex with and for long periods of time <laughs> I'm almost embarrassed to say that but there's a there's a vulnerability about sexuality and sex and I think it's time that we have that conversation here on our show as we as we grow and think about being sexual beings in the world that's who we are and it's funny people always say when I walk into the room Charles Corpa you exude sex and I'm always trying to figure out what what does that mean that I exude sex and I guess I've been a, a, a person who's loved sex since I was a, a, a child. It's been a, a part of me. And so what does healthy sex at this age look like? And how do I be the healthiest version of myself with my partners or partner? Let me let me say that. So I wanted to have this conversation, a healthy sex and a healthy relationship. And I began to do some research and it's interesting that Google will tell you who are the pro most prominent people in the field and who are doing amazing things. And I wanted to bring on Dr. Sanjaya, a best-selling author of Sex in South Beach. She is associate professor of medicine at the University of Miami. Uh, 
And this was the person that I was like, I want to have this woman on my show. And we had an interesting conversation when we were first talking. And I was like, wow, like I was taken back. I was like, I almost wanted to fly down to Miami, like and meet her in person. Cause I was like, she is a force to be reckoned with. So Dr. Sanjaya, thank you for coming on the What's Your Revolution show. How are you? And that is a beautiful, beautiful smile that you have. How are you doing? I'm doing very, very well. Thank you for having me here, Dr. Corpru. It's such a pleasure to be here. Um, you're doing such amazing work. And I really, really appreciate the opportunity to have a little discussion with you and your audience because you have such a great audience and the work that you're doing to really help not only black men or men in general, um, men of all colors and from all walks of life, but also the people that love them like me. Um, yes. And, and we thank are, you. Thank you. Keep keep loving on us. <laughs> keep beautiful sisters like you. Please keep loving on us. Thank you. So I'm really, really, really excited to be part of your conversation today. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. No worries. We're going to get this question out of the way. It's my favorite question in the world. Dr. Sanjaya, what's your revolution? Uh, I help people have better sex. <laughs> it doesn't seem on first first, you know, and the first time you hear it, it doesn't seem so revolutionary. People have been having sex since the beginning of time, but have they been having the sex that they want to have? Have they been having what I would call high quality good sex? And people are like, what's good sex? And I'm like, okay, first of all, orgasms weren't involved. Probably wasn't so great. <laughs> but beyond that, what really is good sex? And that, I think that really changes over our lifespan. When you were talking about your love of sex since you were a child, I think, you know, every 13-year-old boy, you know, any sex yeah. is good sex, right? Or 18-year-old or however you were when you started uh, experimenting. And I think that's pretty much what most of us are doing our whole lives, experimenting. Right. And experimenting. so I was like, let's stop that. Let's just stop the trial and error show. And let's try to get um, educated about this topic and have real meaningful conversations that lead to better relationships, not only with each other, but with ourselves. Let's end this sexual guilt. Let's stop feeling bad about our desires and let's talk about them and open them up. And I think that when we are brave enough to do that, we might be lucky enough to find someone else who wants the same things that we want. Yes. Yes. That is a wonderful revolution. And it's interesting that you say that. Um, Good sex. And I'm, I'm going to ask you that question a little in, in, in a little bit, like what is good sex and how do we get there? Um, but it's interesting because I was reading some articles and doing some research for our conversation. And one of the articles I read, I want to say it was a New York Times article, is that that people are actually having less sex these days. And, and I, I want to ask this why, like from from a researcher standpoint. Why are people having less sex? Because I want to have, you know, out there, I want to have more sex, right? <laughs> I remember the younger version of me. I'm like, I want to have more sex. Why are people having less sex? What's the, what's, what's the barrier? What's, what's hampering people from having sex these days? I think it's the same reason why people aren't having more conversations. We don't call each other on the phone anymore. We've become a completely virtual society. And if you can get all of your, what you've, perceive or you think are your sexual needs, if you can get those met without meeting someone in real life, um, I would call that limiting your sex life. But some people are like, all my needs are met and I don't have to leave the house. And so I think quite a few things are behind that. There's a lot of addiction to porn. Mm. Um, a lot of people, there's now, I mean, we, I call it PID or 
PIED, porn-induced erectile dysfunction. Erectile dysfunction is happening at younger and younger ages, and a lot of it has to do with our obsession with pornography and in releasing our sexual energy through pornography rather than by relating to another human being. Wow. 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 And, and, and thinking about that, and, and here's, the, here's the nerd in me. Here, here, here's two doctors talking about porn and, and, and the, neur- the neuroscience of this, right? And the, 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 the endorphins and dopamine levels from watching porn increase. And you cannot, there's no way that you're going to, like, you got to be having, like, mind-blowing sex to create this, the, the amount of uh, dopamine and endorphins that are secreted by watching porn. And if you're not, Right. Having that same type of uh, I, I call it circus sex where, you know, cir- circus sets and all, all of the things. These are these are pro- these are professionals. right? <laughs> these are professional. It, it, it's like playing in the NBA. Right. It's playing in the NFL. Like most people are not playing in the NBA. It's like one percent. So thinking that you're going to have this type of sex and to have that level of dopamine and endorphin rush, it creates this level of like, wait, this doesn't feel like or it doesn't feel like that because your erection or your stimulation with this vaginal doesn't feel the same. It's not the same. And so you're like, wait, wait, this. No, like this. Well, no, I'm, I'm just not going to do it. And that's 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 crazy. Like that that porn has, you know, and I remember growing up, Doc, um, and not having easy access to porn. Absolutely. Magazines even were mm-hmm. hard to get and they were behind, you know, a black file folder or something. So you couldn't even see the <laughs> images if you went into the store. But it is a really big problem. People blur the lines. They don't, they forget that these are people being paid to do a job. They're professional actors. One of the things I love to point out about pornography is all of the noises that people make. Not everyone wants to make noises during sex. A lot of people, when they're experiencing sexual satisfaction they're actually silent because they're so into their head and they're or into their body and enjoying it and you might hear some heavy breathing but even the noises that you hear in a pornography film those are scientifically proven to ignite desire so directors are saying say this moan this way do it at this you you know at, at this level because they know the science behind what it takes to induce those feelings of desire. So when we blur the lines, like, I want that, I want that. And one of the crudest examples that I can give you, I'm going to use some very decent language, but, um, <laughs> but to remind everybody listening that uh, pornography is a paid production with professional actors. I have been a sexologist for over 20 years. I have never once met a woman who said, you know what I really want? I want to get down on my knees and I want to have like five guys ejaculate in my face. Yeah, that's what I want. Never heard it. And it's so weird because that scene has been performed in um, adult films over and over again. Over and over again, yes. And I think most people listening, you, I don't think we know someone like that. Wow, yes. That that is the imagery of that is is can be quite shocking, but it it, it is there. Uh, the degradation of and the degradation of women uh, that we do see on porn, and how young men or even older men see that 
um, may, and I'll, I'll say may because you know we're both scientists, and it's not an it's not an exact thing, but may have a tremendous impact on how men then interact with the people who love them or the people that they're interacting with. And the interesting thing I wanted just to dive down a little bit further because you know again vulnerable, like you talked about the scientific points or the scientific knowledge of the sound, right? And I know that, again, I've been caught up in the sound, right? The sexual sound. What this doesn't sound like, and I spent, you know, I also said, I spent some time in my life watching pornography and I have then been off of it for a long time uh, because I knew of the impact that it was going to have on my life. I could see the, the, the physical and mental aspect that it was going to have on my life. But I have been caught up with the sound. This doesn't sound like I can't hear. Like it's really, really quiet in here. There's a problem, hey, Houston. There's a problem. What's what's going on? Um, and to know that, right? To understand that there's a science behind this, and and to create a heightened level of arousal. We think about this that people, right? They want you to come back time and time again, right? If you think about this from the, the again going back to endorphins and dopamine, why do you go back to McDonald's? Right. Why do you want McDonald's McDonald's fries? Right. I love McDonald's fries because there's something in the ingredient that that neuroscience says, I want McDonald's fries and nothing else. Porn, again, will from what I'm hearing, will take you back. I want that same fry again, again and again until the dopamine and endorphin rush is lessened. And then you go looking for more. Right. Right. Greater levels of porn, greater, you know, more outrageous. That's so interesting. I, I didn't think this conversation was going to go there that quickly. But <laughs> uh, I remember I wanted to make one point about the sounds. I remember explaining this. I was giving a seminar somewhere and that came up for some reason. And a man said, you know what? That must be why I love women's tennis. I never knew it. He's like, because I hate tennis. I won't watch men's tennis, but every time women's tennis is on, I'm like, he's like, but I think a lot of those sounds that women are making when they're playing tennis, they must remind me of when I'm watching porn. He's like, because it's one of those things. So he was able to make that connection and see how it was impacting his own choices of what he was viewing. So it's wow. definitely interesting. Yeah. It is. You think about Pavlov. You think of Pavlov's theory of of classical conditioning and how, <laughs> right? We <laughs> we can bring the the grunts of women's tennis. Like, wait a minute, this sounds like a sexual experience. Wow, wow, Doc. Um, there's so much that we're going to talk about today, but I appreciate this. But I want to I want to roll it. I want to roll it back because the, this question of sexologists and sex expert. I, I know my listeners want to know, like, how, like, what is a sexologist and what was your journey to get there? Like li literally, like there's more like, wait a minute, you're having a sexologist on the show? Like, what is that? Like, so if you could define, if we can define our terms here. What is a sexologist and what was your journey to get there? Why? Why? So I became a sexologist because I'm a black heterosexual cisgender woman in America. And I was told many times during my life, I was two things. I was going to become diabetic as one in four black women do develop diabetes in their lifetimes, even though it's completely preventable. And I was going to contract HIV because at the time, heterosexual black women, this was, and it still is, I'm in Florida at the University of Miami and HIV is still a leading cause of death for black people between the ages of 20 and 45 here, or excuse me, 20 and 54 here in Florida. And when I say leading, like the fifth and sixth leading cause of death, depending on your age group, even though there's medications to prevent HIV before and after you put yourself at risk. So 
initially when I went to school, I when I I went to graduate school, I don't know if you know who Paul Robeson is or if your listeners do. Yes, but I do. I I actually wanted to be like Coco from Fame, so I grew up wanting to go to New York for any reason at all. But I'm not talented in the fine arts. I was very very good in school, so I went to Columbia University as a reason to go to New York. Um, and, um, when I got there, I actually thought I was going to go into politics. And then I realized I did not want to, I, I did not want to go into politics. I did not feel I was going to be able to make the world a better place because of the influence of money and, um, the, the lobbying situation that is still going on today. Um, so, and I didn't want to put my whole life out on front street if I wasn't going to be able to make meaningful changes. And at the time, it just seemed like you weren't going to be able to make meaningful changes in in the political arena. And um, again, Black women were dying from HIV. And I started a research project and um, I became an expert in HIV. I still am. Today, I run the largest treat-based HIV clinic in Miami-Dade County. However, after working on sex problems for a few years, I was still in graduate school, still in graduate school. And... um, most of my colleagues were older than me, the doctors, the nurses, the patients, and all of my patients told me how they contracted HIV. And I was like, man, those are some hor- horrible sexual relationships. Like they weren't even having orgasms. And I thought, my God, if I'm going to contract HIV, I'm definitely need to, it, it needs to be like a multi-climatic session if it's going to be, wow. if wow. it's going to lead to a potentially fatal diagnosis. So what I did was I started exploring how can we help people have better sexual relationships. And perhaps if we were able to have better, more fulfilling sexual relationships, then we would reduce HIV, we could reduce divorce, we could reduce broken families, we could reduce all of the problems that are really prevalent. I'm very concerned with minority communities and no one needs more help in those situations than black and brown communities. And so I so I started Exploring, and fortunately, I don't know if you and your guests know who Dr. Ruth is, but she was Dr. Ruth Ginsburg was like the first, um, the first sexologist in the United States. She had a heavy German accent. She still is alive in New York City in her 90s. She's one of my mentors. She went to Columbia, so I was there as I was exploring this, and there was no sex education or anything sort of concentration or focus. But I said, I want to help people have better sex. I want more sexual pleasure. So all of my research is still, all of most of my funded research is still on sex problems. And I have a business on the side that focuses on sex pleasure. What we do is we mm. cultivate all natural experiences and products, services that help people evolve their sexual relationship with themselves or with their partners. And we do it in the context that most people do want to end up in a committed monogamish type of relationship, <laughs> you know, but monogamish ish. Yes. I have a term that's I've coined married ish. Like most of married-ish. us want to end up okay. in a married ish type situation. Okay. However, we know from the divorce rates and just from the ways that people evolve in different directions sometimes that the traditional, the traditional structure of marriage isn't really a great fit for most people. Mm. And if you have a second, we can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. We got I, time. I Go wanted ahead. to talk about sex because I, I, so I wanted, I felt, I didn't know anything about sex. I went to Catholic school for 12 years 
Um, I remember asking my biology teacher, what does it mean when you get wet? Everyone's telling me about this wet thing. And I was the last American virgin. And I was like, I don't know what, what it means. And she said, you're going to, you'll find out when you're ready. And I was not a good answer. So I learned everything. <laughs> you know, was, wait, what is this? Wait, wait, hold on. Like what? Yeah. I want to know what being wet is before I get wet, you know? And so um, I felt there was a better way. Fortunately, I have had some very, very, very responsible gentlemen as my partners in life. And so I have ha I had some very caring boyfriends who taught me things and taught me how to have sex and taught me about sexual pleasure. But it could have gone either way. They could have said, hey, if I put my foot up your anus, this is what <laughs> sex is. And I wouldn't know any different. I mean, you know, so I felt sex education and especially sex education beyond just sexual risk education sexual pleasure education was just sorely lacking in the United States. And so for the past 20 years, I've been trying to figure out how to get it out there, working on it still. I wrote a book, I've written a sex column, but it's still one of those taboo subjects where it's easier for us to talk about constipation than, yeah. um, than a prolonged period of abstinence, abstinence not by choice, um, you know, which most, most people who enter these prolonged periods of abstinence is not by choice. We don't not discuss by choice, it. No. And we don't discuss that, hey, now I've got a bitchy attitude because I haven't had an orgasm in a year. We don't talk about the physiological factors that go into all of this. So I felt someone needed to be there to let's talk about the biological experience, what happens during the sexual response cycle. Let's talk about, as you have already been discussing so far, the the psychological processes that happen, what happens when our brain um, is sexually excited. I love to say, you know, the most important sexual organ is the one between our ears. Mm -hmm. And so when your true. brain is in on fire and it's aligned with what your body wants, then that can be some really, really, really good sex. And yeah. I think that these are the important <laughs> discussions. I've never, I've been working in HIV since, gosh, forever, it feels like. But um, since the 90s, I guess, and I have never had a patient say I was having the best sex of my life when I got HIV. And back in the 90s, I said this. Mm. I said, let me tell you, when I die, people are going to be like, I had the best sex of my life when I went out. <laughs> I mean, and I think that's what we should be having. Magic Johnson doesn't know how he got HIV. Charlie Sheen doesn't know how he got HIV. I'm like, shouldn't you kind of remember that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's this. There's so much, Doc, that you just gave us. Like so, so much. No, 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 no. It, it, it is, it is so good. It's such good fodder. But what I heard is, is that the, the revolution in in what you're trying to do is around creating good sex. Because if we're having good sex, what does it lead to, right? Hopefully, if you're having good sex, right, you can be married-ish, right? Because I, as I, I as I think about this 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 age of this this middle age of mine and 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 attempting and trying and and receiving and all the time like what is good sex what is going to make me stay home and I think what I heard right and and that's what the thing what's going to make me stay home and and have communication with with my partner and asking her like what do you like. You know, are we in a good place? Do we want to bring somebody else into this if we if, if we've had that type of communication? But for me, right, and anyone who knows Charles Corporate, the younger versions of Charles Corporate, right? What's going to make Charles Corporate stay home? And as we said earlier in this discussion, right, I've been a sexual being since I can I can remember. Like it was like 
almost that that was a part. I guess that's the Taurian in me. You know, if we if we look at the cosmic charts, right? Taurians are very sexual people, and so it's it's just been a it's just been a part of me, and you know, to really just to really just think about what that looks like is, is that the revolution in itself is around finding and figuring out and and if I'm correct, is consistently having good sex because hopefully it's going to keep you home and keeping you home theoretically is probably going to keep you safe. Is that what I heard? Yes. Something. Yes. Yes. We're, you're definitely along the same lines. You know, I, I get my own self confused, but yes, what is good sex? It's not just about having good sex, but having conversations about good sex mm. and evolving our sexual relationship. Because Charles, if you and I had gotten together when we were 18, I might want to try something new, right? It's like, it's been a couple of years. So, you know, I'm not 18 anymore. My friend did this in a taxi. You know, my other friend did this. My other friend did this. I've been hearing about some things. I've been watching some TV. I might want to try something new. And where's the safe space where I can talk about this with my partner without offending my partner, without them, without anyone making some sort of accusation, oh, you want this, because that's what we tend to do as adults. We tend to trivialize sex. Like we make it in America, I find it's very dichotomous. It's either rape, it's the only way we hear about it as adults is rape or porn. I'm like, where do you hear about the ice cream with the cherry on top? Because sex is supposed to be good. <laughs> but sex if you is hear supposed about to be it, great. Great. On the news, have you ever heard anyone say on the news, you know what, we're just having really, really amazing intimate relationships. Um, and I decided that I couldn't work here anymore because it was a workplace relationship and I wanted to evolve it. No, you hear about rape, porn, sexual misconduct. We never, there's no space that I can think of a really large public space, which is what I'm trying to create where we can evolve this, where we can take a class. I give classes at the world erotic art museum, you know, and they're wonderful and they're attended by really smart adults who are looking to evolve their sensual relationship or their own sexual experiences as they look forward to their next relationship. And um, I think, you know, you talked about bringing a person and sometimes it's like, can we bring an Altoid in? You know, can we just <laughs> chop up some ice cubes and put a bucket of ice next to the bedroom, next to the bed, you know? Can, can we just do, it doesn't have to be as much as, you know, okay, I'm going to put a wig on tonight and, you know, I'm going to be Beyonce. I'm going to be, I'm a, I'm a be, yeah, I'm gonna be yeah. somebody else. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And that, that's it. And so I, I'm going to ask this question because it, it's leading into this, right? Like, what is great sex, right? How, is there a definition? Is there a universal definition? And I, I know the answer to this, but I want my listeners, right? I want to hear what, what Dr. Sanjaya has to say this, right? What is great sex and can I have great sex tonight? Good question. That's the first thing I want to say. I do think great sex is different for everyone. If you want a, um, a general definition, I would say very similar. Something that makes you want to do it again. Mm. Right? Yes. Because And mm. can you have it tonight? That depends. Do you know this person? If it's someone who you've never met before, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? You might want to swing from the chandeliers, you know, and they got a bad back. You know, I don't, you know, we don't, I don't know. And they might, you might, you know, there's a lot of 
rules. Um, I like to use little things for people to remember. I've had a lot of clients, they female clients who are frustrated because a man won't perform oral sex. And I'm like, look, not good enough for your lips, not good enough for your dick. I mean, that's, you know, you got to remember. And I think that you need to go down there, men, you should be going down there to investigate and to smell and to see what you're putting your most precious parts inside of. Um, so I think when you're not worried, I guess that's actually a great definition that I've often used. When you're under someone or you're on top of someone and you're not worried, you're not worried about, am I going to get pregnant? Am I going to get a disease? Are they going to call me in the morning? You're not worried about these things because you know the situation. You've already discussed these things ahead of time. No, you're not going to call me in the morning because I don't ever want to see your ass again. You know, I'm not saying that, but, or you are going to, you already know that you already know that we're protected, that we're not going to contract a disease. Unless you're trying to get pregnant, you already know the other person is also cognizant that we're not trying to get pregnant and we've taken protection against any unwanted sexual consequences and therefore we can let our minds go and just get into our bodies and be fully present in the experience and i think when our brains are moving and this is a big difference between men and women as you know as a psychologist when our brains are moving it's very distracting but the other thing is men you know their corpus callosum which carries their thoughts through their brain men it's a very narrow pathway what i like to describe it as think of a a very, very small town that doesn't even have a mayor. And there's like a one-way road. It doesn't even have street lights. Like there's just a one-way road. So that's a man's brain. It's just very, very focused on a singular thing. And that singular focus combined with male testosterone leads to men often being more open to engaging in sexual experiences than women. Our corpus callosum is very wide. I like to think of it, you know, I'm here in Miami, so I-95, that's our big highway. I'm like, it's I-95 at rush hour, two lanes, rush hour traffic going both ways. So if a woman is thinking about, oh my God, are the dishes done? Is my work project done? Or whatever, the kids in bed? Did I do that? Did I order this? If a woman's thinking about those things, it's impossible for her to have really her ultimate sexual experiences. So I often advise men, you know, get those dishes done, hire that sitter, you know, make sure it's not when she has a deadline at work. Um, so I think great sex is when you're not worried at all and when you want to do it again. And I, I put that there because you don't always have an orgasm during sex, but it doesn't mean you don't want to do it again. So much, so much, man, this is just like, it is like, I'm just sitting at the, at the buffet getting so, so much. One of the things that comes, comes out of this and what you're saying to me and something that I've talked about on the show a lot Right. And we don't talk about this a lot with about men, but it is, it is still something, this feeling of safety. Right. And particularly as you know, particularly as you get older, I understand some of the risky things that I did when I was younger. Um, middle age. Um, but uh, <laughs> right. But I, I'll just say I won't talk about anybody else. And I, I don't like to do that. Doc, but I, I think for me now, like you said, is like not having the worry. And that worry, not and not having the worry, is me feeling safe. And I think there are other men. We don't say the word safety in conjunction with masculinity in men a lot, right? We we when we think when we tend to think of safety, we talk about women and them feeling safe. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna step out and say men also need to feel safe, right? Um, and that is something that we 
just haven't said so much, but I know for me, like in, in a sexual experience, I, I don't want to worry. I don't. And there are a lot, there are 10, 12, 20, a thousand different things that I'm thinking about before the sexual encounters, things that I had never even thought about before having sex these days. And I'm like, oh, wow. And so you are right. I don't want to worry. And so the next thing I'm going to ask you, okay, I don't want to worry. I don't want the woman that I'm with or, and people don't want the partners that they have to worry. So how do we take the worry out of the sexual experience so people can have great sex? Okay. Shameless plug. I always say the first thing you should do is just listen to my podcast, the sex and South Beach podcast. There you go. It's going to start a conversation you've never had before. The reason I do those podcasts is to stimulate conversations that you would never otherwise have. And even though I'm the one doing the podcast, I could discuss my podcast topics with anybody and it's gonna generate a conversation around sexual fulfillment, sexual health that I otherwise wouldn't be able to have. And it's in a lighthearted, easy to, you know, a very palatable way, the way we're discussing it, not so serious and shaky. And, you know, what I tell younger people is if you can't talk to someone, sometimes it is funny. Are we going to use a condom? Do you have an IUD? I don't know. You know, how are people protecting themselves these days? And not just from the physical harm, but also we don't want to hurt people's feelings. You don't want to have sex with a woman that you think this is a casual relationship and she thinks, oh my God, we're getting married tomorrow. Like you want to make sure when we talk about safety, I often think about people who are at risk for charges. You know, I have worked with football teams before because um, what like football athletes on college campuses almost half of all sexual charges, you know, of misconduct are against athletes on a college campus. And so it's very important when an athlete decides to engage in a sexual relationship, whether it's casual or more than that, that they protect themselves and make sure that right. this person doesn't have any ammunition to bring up charges, whether, you know, and so I think when we talk about safety, there's a lot of areas around that that we can also get into you know talking about and of course now i've gone so far off the tangent i've forgotten the question you've asked how do we how do we not look look i i I felt that (laughs) i felt that no my question was really around um how do we how do we take the worry out uh, of of the the sexual experience yeah to have the conversation but if you can't have the conversation before sex then you shouldn't be having sex with that person it's okay to giggle. It's okay to giggle when you're talking. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to feel embarrassed. And I think that we've really tried to remove the authenticity. We're all so cool, you know, on Instagram and all of our things. And I tell people I'm completely socially awkward. I'm going to say a lot of wrong things. I'm going to mess up a lot. And then that, then they know, look, it's going to be so um, I think that if you can't have the conversation, you probably shouldn't be having sex. If you can't I, and say, I think that, you know. yeah, I think that's the key. And I, I want my revolutionaries to really think about how their body reacts to somebody that they are potentially going to have sex with or having sex with and how you feel. And one of the things, Doc, that I have realized in in, in this later stage is to really listen to my body. Um, and re- does my body want to do this? Right. My mind, my mind may have said, hey, this was this might have been a good thing. But my body will because I think that's the unconscious part of me saying, hmm. Did you really want to be here? Did you did you really want to do this? And I th- I think no, you didn't really want to do this. So 
I'm about to be out. I'm about to go back. I'm about to go back into the. I'm about to go back into the shade, and and you're out here on your own now because you made a decision to to, to have sex with someone that you didn't really want to have sex with, and I'm not about to come out and play. So you're on your own now, and <laughs> <laughs> you're on your own. Um, and so that's something that you, really understanding my body and really saying, okay. There's a, there's a there's a sense of worry or I don't feel safe in this sexual experience and I shouldn't be here in the first place because I can I, I, I've done a, I hate to say this. I've done some comparison. I won't say a lot of comparison, doc, but I was like, OK, so I was really, really engaged in this sexual experience. Oh, OK. I was not really, really engaged in this sexual experience. And why? What happened? And it is coming to this realization of I felt safe in one sense and I did not feel safe in the other. And how do you have that conversation like, well, with yourself and then with your partner, like something's amiss and it's not right. And maybe this isn't the relationship or maybe this isn't the sexual experience for either one of us. Um, so that I, I think that's the thing we want to feel safe. And like you said, if the crux of this, if it's good, you want to do it time and time again. Like I want to be like, hey, you coming through tonight? Hey, hey, let's 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 go to dinner. Let's go for a bike ride. Let's go somewhere because I know that the the mental state that we'll talk about in a second is key because, you know, as a man, if it's good, you like I, I can get greedy. Like I want to keep I want to keep doing it. Right. I'm just saying. Um, but they're also right. Uh, there are also things that have to happen to make the in, the encounter great for everyone. Like you said, men can be really like focused and like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm again, I'm in, but we also have to realize what our partner's needs are. So what do, what do men do? And we'll talk about this in, an, in a heterosexual perspective, um, because that's where, that's where I live. And so I don't want to disrespect anyone. Um, but what do men in a heterosexual space have to do to really, particularly if they're not worried and it's a safe space and they can, they want to do it. How do they make the space amenable and conducive for their partner to want to have sex with them on a regular basis? Very, very good question. And I hope all of your male listeners are like rooting for you. Like, thank you, bro. I've been trying to ask that question for a long time. So I think the number one rule for men is you must make her or try attempt to motivate an orgasm prior to penetration. And I think it's a misnomer. Like I don't know why it is, I, why people don't know this. It's been well published dozens, thousands of times. About 75% of women cannot achieve a climax through penetrative sex alone, period. There's no put on seven inches. It doesn't matter. And by the way, all of you seven inch people, like, um, 93% of all men are five inches or less erect. So I know everybody listening is part of the other 5% or 6%, but I know, I know. Every one of my <laughs> listeners, right? <laughs> Everyone. I know, I know, but erect, you know, um, so, um, I think it's really, really critically important if a man is truly engaged in trying to give pleasure to his female partner, it's extraordinarily important for him to know that a woman, a woman is going to have an orgasm so much easier with penetration if she has one before penetration. 
And there's many different ways to motivate an orgasm in a woman prior. Yeah, to let's let, let, let's talk about this, right? Let, yes. let, let's let, let's talk about this. Right, because I'm hearing what I'm hearing is that you got to do the you got to put in the time and effort, right, to stimulate your partner uh, from a clitoral standpoint is what I'm what I'm hearing. We we, we just put in the words we, we we're defining terms, right, right. This is an education show, so we and so knowing that going in, seventy five percent of women do not or may not we'll say may may not have an orgasm through penetration and need they need stimulation, some other forms of stimulation to help them orgasm. Exactly. And the key is they don't have it through penetration alone. Okay. Alone. So I think I, I can't remember, but I want to say that I wrote this book, Sex in South Beach. And in the first chapter, it's like what makes what causes an O in a woman. And I talk about the one prong technique, the two prong technique, the three prong <laughs> technique. You know, there's different techniques that you can use. But remember, a penis isn't very flexible, right? A penis is a long, hard, like, vessel or, you know, tool, so to speak. And I don't want to minimize it by using the word tool <laughs> at all, but it is, it is not flexible. Whereas our fingers are very flexible. They can do things. Our tongue is very flexible. And the thing about our tongue, one of the organs in our body with the maximum amount of muscles. So we have more like muscles in our tongue than in our arms. Um, you know, there's debates about whether there's muscles in other areas. So I don't want to say it's it's the organ with the most muscles because there are some debates. Um, we have them here at the medical school. Um, but And also our tongue has amazing endurance. Has your tongue ever been tired? Never, right? You've never been like, man, my tongue is worn out. My tongue no. is tired. No, you've never said that. I mean, if so, mm -hmm. hey, maybe, yay. Maybe, maybe, maybe my job, but not my, no, tongue. No, your tongue doesn't get tired. And you can, you know, your tongue can be firm and pointy and it can be wide and soft. And we can do a lot of different things with our tongues. And I mean, there's our tongues, there's our fingers, there's toys, there's, there's massages, there's erogenous zones that haven't been discovered. Some people, it's what, in, uh, you know, right in on the inner side of their elbow or right where their butt meets the back of their thigh, that crease, right, you know, where the butt and the thigh join, it might everything. be behind the knee. I mean, and that's a great exercise for people to do is let's discover our erogenous zones because you know who you're not? You're not my ex-boyfriend. You're not my, the last man I was with, you know, mm, and that's one thing. That so the last thing that turned him on may not be the thing that you want and vice versa. And it's been, it's, it's tragic that I've heard from so many women, you know, that their partner, their male partner is like, well, that, you know, something's wrong with that. Something's wrong with me because your last girlfriend liked it like that. And your last woman liked it like that. And I'm like, yeah, everybody is absolutely different. Absolutely. Right. And please, like Rihanna said, I want to be the only girl in the world. So it's my <laughs> body you've got to get to know. My likes, my desires, you know. And when you're done with all of that, you're not going to be thinking about any other woman because, you know, a woman will reciproc reciprocate, you know, a thousand times over. That's simply, I don't want to simplify it and make a stereotype, but it is a female nature to give. We meet you more than halfway in most instances, right. um, especially when we feel safe. Now, and it, that's another issue, women feeling safe. We need to feel safe to swing from the chandeliers. We might really want to, but we're scared you're going to think we're a horror or something or that we're too experienced or by being able to vocalize our desires that we, you know, that somehow that doesn't resonate well with your ethics or 
um, you want a Virgin Mary or whatever, you know, there's always <laughs> that Madonna or Virgin Mary, you know, um, dichotomy. But um, I think that's the most thing men need to learn is pleasure her. And it might not be clitoral stimulation. It might be nipples, you know, it might be her neck. It might be behind her ears. You know, I, I have a woman who blames me um, for getting her pregnant with her third child because her husband gave <laughs> found, her a back you massage. Found it. Yeah. You found it. Yes, her husband gave her a back massage with a body oil that we sell, that my company sells. So Ooh, she's, like, she's like, she's uh, like, you're Thank responsible you. for that baby. <laughs> like, it was a back massage. <laughs> so find out what your partner likes and do it for them. And, um, and if you can cause her to have a climax, climax, have an orgasm prior to penetration, then she's also going to be much more likely to have multiple orgasms during. That's what I wanted to, right. I want, I want to get, I want to get to that. Yeah. I want to get to that. Um, so I want to plug your book. All right. Sex and South Beach. Um, and to make sure that our, our listeners go out, if you're, if you want to have good sex, if you want to have great sex with your partner, um, and I'm sure that the book is equitable and, and, and people, uh, people of all walks of life can learn uh, about their sexuality and their sexual experiences from Sex and South Beach. Because I, I want to make sure that people who listen to the show know that this is a very equitable show. Uh, we had the conversation because I, I come from a, a cisgender, you know, cisgender heterosexual man. And, that, and that's my experience. But I want to make sure that people who are listening to the show, they can take something away. So please make sure that you're going uh, and purchasing Sex and South Beach by Dr. Sanjaya. And I think the takeaway from what you just said is communication and not being able to have or and not being afraid to have the communication uh, that needs to have be prior to your first sexual encounter. And then to have more communication once that first sexual encounter happens about and, 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 and typically, you know, my my male revolutionaries, it's not asking like in, in the moment, how was that? What can we change? Cuddle up a little bit. Have some have some intimate time, right? Spend that time. For me at this age, right, intimacy is so big, right? It, it is so big. And I've talked about the show. Sometimes it's not just about having sex or not having sex at all. It is the intimacy that happens that will lead to a sexual experience later on. And so how do you create that intimacy? And part of that is, is through the communication that you have to have with your partner, um, to make them feel safe. And, and and anyone needs to feel safe. Women needs to feel safe to, that they can explore and be themselves and they want to sh- hang from the chandeliers or they, they want to have trapeze or they just want to be, you know, hey, I want to lay on my back and do you, you know, whatever it is, people need to feel safe. Um, I want to talk about something with you because it, it, it comes up because I, I, I've met people who are in the lifestyle and we'll call it the, the lifestyle. People who have, who are polyamorous, who, you know, um, or into BDSM. And it, it is really interesting because I often feel like uh, it's characterized as something that is way out, but I feel like it's making itself more into mainstream conversation, more into mainstream society. How do we have more and more conversations about polyamory and BDSM or, or different facets of sex that might pleasure people without ostracizing them? All right. Because typically, what I feel like is these conversations come from men. And that if women talk about them or express this to men, they're like, wait, hold on. Or so how does that happen in a healthy way? And how can we engage in polyamory or different sexual experiences without the shame, without the, the stigma, but with enjoyment? 
Very, very, very good questions. Again, and this is the last time I'm going to say, listen to that podcast. But the Sex and South Beach podcast, like we have America's top fetishes. fetishes. We talk about role playing and we talk about, and the reason, what a, a main reason that I do this show is so people will listen to it with their partner and then they're now engaged in a conversation and I've done the hard work of initiating it because what you said, it is very challenging to bring up these things and what's when's the right time. You definitely don't want to do it during sex. Um, one thing that I do, which probably isn't accessible to everyone, like I went to a dinner party on Friday night, you know, my girlfriend introduces me. And the first question I'll ask is I will talk because I am in, I'm back into a writing mode. So I'm writing some things around this concept of marriedish now. And I'm asking people, would, could you be in a great relationship where everything is great. You guys have similar values, you know, world ideals. Um, your money situation is right. You're both evolving in, in, in complementary directions. Everything's great. And your partner asks, you know, I, I don't know if I want to step out and try something else. And I don't know. And if I were to do that, that I wouldn't want it to limit our relationship and I don't want to end our relationship in any way, but I think I want to take a look or I think I want to go to this maybe swingers club, club velvet or something. That's one here in Miami. I think, would you come with me or would you not come with me depending on what you're getting into? And um, I think that um, it's critically, critically important to fit, find a way to have those conversations with your primary partner before you make any behavioral changes. And mm. if you are the person on the receiving end, the first thing you want to not do, you don't want to shut it down. No, don't talk about that with me. Because that just means someone's going to do it and hide it from you. Right. And if you're talking mm -hmm. about true, genuine intimacy, you really want to be no one for risk and safety. You want to know what your partner's up to. But also, all of us want to feel accepted for just who we are. I know I have a lot of imperfections, a lot. Like, I know, but it's got to be okay that sometimes she goes on a tangent and she talks a lot about different things and, you know, merges 12 points into one sentence or something like that. And <laughs> it's got to be okay that she gets up at five in the morning and works out, even though I hate when, you know, she, you know, gets out of the bed and messes it up and it wakes me up. Certain things have to, we all want to feel accepted just right. for our good parts and our weaknesses. And I think when we shut people down, one, it creates this culture of secrecy. And I know that we're, we're both, both you and I work in a predominantly heterosexual space. Um, although I do do a lot of work with the LGBT community. Um, however, most of my work is with the heterosexual population. But I think that um, we, we, we want to know, one, what our partner's up to. And um, I'm going to try to finish my train of thought because this, this is my weakness of going into too many directions. But normally it'll come it's back. Okay. And it's also a weakness of this virtual thing. I'm much better live. Just, you know, I never forget I what I'm saying in live. I, I bet. But, I bet. Um, um, that's what this married-ish book is about. But it is, in, how do we engage in these conversations and in these without getting shut down? Because divorce rates are 50% or more, and they're going up and down. But they've always stayed around 50%. That's because marriage was created by a monks, the whole 
saying that marriage mm. was created by um, sexless monks who never dated anyone. And they're the ones who decided that you could only have sex inside of a marriage or else it's a sin. And somehow they've been very successful in convincing society of that since, you know, the the Middle Ages, which is a completely ridiculous thing that the first person you have sex with is also going to be the last person that you have sex right, with. Right. So yeah. I think... Um, I can't Ask, remember the first person I had sex with. Actually, I can't, but. And see, girls, I hope there's some young women listening. I told you he don't even remember your name. See, I told you. I, I, won't, I won't say your name. I remember exactly where it was. <laughs> Sometimes I do bring my it male was a, staff members. It was a wonderful experience. It was a, We had a great time. But I do think, how do, how do you bring it up? You just, you can say no, and you can say, I'm going to think about it. But you can't shut your partner down because you do not want to walk in. You know, I say you want to know that your partner is going to bring a man like I'm a woman and I'm a heterosexual woman. I don't know how I would feel if my partner wanted to become intimate with other men. But, you know, I definitely want to listen to what he has to say about it. And I prefer to have that conversation than come home and find my partner with a man at home because he didn't feel that he was in a relationship where he could feel accepted no matter what. And I think, I think as, as, as any human being, and I'm, I'm a black woman, so we've felt a lot of repression and secrecy through history. We've been hiding mm -hmm. a lot of things through history. I'm, you know, from when black people were trying to pass in order to get right. So I think once we can, we're not really truly liberated to be our full selves until we can have honest and authentic sexual communication. And I, Part of my mission is to make sure that everyone really understands sex is health. Sex, sex is health. Is sex is health. health. Sex, I, I think that's wonderful. Sexuality is part of our health. And many times people end up in the doctors because something's not working sexually. But what it's doing is uncovering an underlying health issue. So I love that you're creating this space where we can have... You know, a conversation about sex, but it's really about our health. And if we're repressing things, our mental health is suffering, you know, and yes. we've seen this and that's where I was going with the heterosexual. I remember with our LGBTQ community, it's very frustrating for me, the way minority communities have treated LGBTQ because yes. It's, yes. it's, it's, it's one of the biggest reasons why AIDS transmits so rapidly. And I say AIDS because many minority communities don't get the treatment when they have HIV, you know, um, and so it's very, very frustrating if you don't know anyone who's gay and if you don't know anyone who's a swinger and if you don't know anyone who's into BDSM. And for those who, you know, are still working on their GED, we're talking about, you know, whips and chains and, you know, sex swings and, you know, 50 shades all of gray. Type all stuff. of the toys, all, 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 all of the, the toys, toys tying yes. up, all of that blindfolding, mm -hmm. all, all of that, all of, all, all of that. Yes. And there is definitely different um, levels to that. Not every BDSM experience needs a safe word, right? It can, so it can be a very loving and intimate experience it's about a communication. So I hear. Right. So if we can allow people to be open and start starts in many communities by saying like, hey, did you know there's gay people? Period. You know, and just acknowledging what's really going on. And there's men who have sex with men. There's women who have sex with women. There's men who have sex with men and women. Women do the same things. And acknowledging the realities of this, then we can start opening up conversations. And I love what some of our TV shows have been doing in recent years with that. I don't have time to watch a lot of TV, but my medical students always tell me when there's a good episode um, right. on Insecure. There was a man on the show Insecure um, where... Uh, 
um, one of the women, a heterosexual woman was dating a man and he talked about his prior sexual experiences with men mm-hmm. and he, she walked, she couldn't be in that relationship anymore. Yeah, um, that, that is, that has been so interesting. And, and, and I want to touch on that one really quickly after this, because one of the things that you said, and I, I want my revolutionaries, particularly my revolutionaries, but everybody needs to, if you're in a relationship with a man, you understand that what doctor said was sex is health. And, you know, understanding this, right, from, from, from you know, from, from time puberty hits, right, you know, y- y- your sexual experience is going to tell you about your health. And as, as we age, your, right, your sexual response cycle, um, how your body is physiologically responding, right, thinking about that, particularly if we're thinking about heart health. Right, and you've talked about this. You've talked about this on some of your YouTube episodes that I've watched. Right, mm-hmm. heart health. Basically, your penis will let you know how how well your heart is working. Right, thinking about this, and and, and I want people to understand that. Right, because uh, the morning wood is a thing. Right, it, it 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 is a thing, and it's really your body letting you know that you are actually functioning well. Your heart is working well. Your cardiovascular system is working well. If your body is not telling, if you're not having that experience, then it's, it's as Doc said, something may be amiss. It may not be, right? You may not be consciously aware when it happens. Usually it's a nocturnal thing or typically as you're waking up. Actually, it happens a number of times during, during the night uh, and you may or may not know that it happens. Uh, and there are actually little tests that you can actually do to see if actually you're actually having a nocturnal erection. But it's letting you know what your body is doing around your cardiovascular health. Um, and then also thinking about this, um, your mental health, depression and anxiety have an impact on your physiological response, your sexual response cycle, and thinking about how do you overcome those things because your body is telling you something's wrong. And I want you, I want you to listen to that, revolutionaries, as you're, as you're moving through. Um, there was one other piece that I want uh, uh, that I, I wanted to get to, but it, it's gone. That's that's that that middle aged thing that, that that happens. You have a great thought, and and then it's gone. Um, I, I want us to move the conversation just just a little bit. Uh, I, it brings it back because you said something about men talking about their relationships with men if they're in a heterosexual relationship. And as I prepared for this interview with you, I. I I went and did some focus groups. I went, I went to talk to my revolutionaries. And one of the questions that, that came up and said, make sure that you ask this question. And this is, and this is a brother who's in LGBTQ, right? Um, he was like, how do men create, how do we create space for men to explore their sexuality without shame? Right. Because and particularly for black men, we do that right from a cisgender, even from a religious and biblical perspective, doc, we shame men who do not, you know, conform to the cisgender heterosexual, um, how do we allow men, particularly black men, to explore and, and be able to not worry about their sexual experiences? Very, very, very good question. I love what Magic Johnson All, all these various, man. I, I, I'm getting like, I feel like I'm getting so many gold stars from- You from are. You're questions. getting like an A on this quiz, okay? <laughs> but, um, I love what Magic Johnson's son is doing um, by being very himself out in the public. And I think finally we're coming to a space in society, in our cultural evolution and social evolution, 
where people are becoming, be feeling more liberated to be who they truly are. But I think the way that we really should tackle this, particularly in the black community, is we have to tackle it through the churches. Um, just like black people were not allowed to be married, this is what I tell the black churches. I go and give lectures in black churches often. Mm. And um, because God wants everybody to stay together, which means we must have good sex, right? right. God wants our fam- yes. strong families build strong communities and good sex builds strong families, <laughs> can lead to strong families. Mm-hmm. And that's yes. the perspective I take when I'm going into the church environment. But until our churches make it an environment that's accepting for everyone, people are going to have do these behaviors in the closet. And we are finally starting to make some strides with churches where they're starting to say, okay, conversion therapy might not be the way to go. Like he's gay. We're going to convert him to being straight again. No, that's not going to work. So um, I think that it has to start really from a spiritually centered um, for people who believe in God or are active, actively involved in the church. Many churchgoers I know do have a gay relative do have a, a child or a family member or someone in the, someone, a fam, a friend of their family who isn't heterosexual and they can relate to their experiences because they want to, they want to protect the person whom they love. So they understand how hard it is when a black man comes out as gay, they often lose their family, their community, their church, they're isolated all alone. And whenever someone doesn't have that, they put themselves at risk for a lot of things, because as you said, the depression kicks in and all of these other things that can really um, fuel some really risky behaviors. Um, So I think that in our families, like at home, when we go home, I, I, um, we have to make sure I once said to my family, maybe she's gay. I was talking about one of my cousins who had not married and God forbid she had not married. And, you know, she was 30. So, I mean, she might as well just die. Right. So, um, I said, well, maybe she's gay. And every, they came down on me so hard as if I said she was a crackhead. And I said, there's nothing wrong if she's gay. I just thought, Look at what she, how is she going to come out as gay to you guys? Look what you guys just did to me. And I just right, said, maybe right, she is exactly. gay. And so I do think that it, it, it's, it's like your show. Who is the revolutionary in your family? Who is the revolutionary mm. in your church? Who's going to go talk to the pastor? And who's going to go talk to the neighborhood association? Who We see this kid at the rec center. He's 14. You know, sometimes we know someone's gay before they're able to open up and disclose their sexuality to us. And oftentimes we haven't created these spaces. So I think, you know, one step is let's go be the revolutionary in our personal environments and make and start fueling these changes, motivating some changes where our church environments, our home communities, our places that accept all of the members of our family. Right. Um, right. And, um, you know, I think that that's that's really, really critically important. And I think one way to do it as well is to remember black people um, were limited. So now we want to limit the rights of gay people. It's very, very frustrating to me. It is very Um, frustrating. (laughs) You know, so we want to make sure that everybody has the same types of rights. And at the end of the day, no matter who someone's having sex with, when someone's having really really good sex. When I say that, that means your hormones are on fire. Mm -hmm. They're not worried about everything. They have the dopamine, prolactin, serotonin, everything is just exploding. Oxytocin. Oxytocin. They just want to cuddle up and touch you. You When someone's really experienced, it's a very, very healthy thing. 
very similar to how someone feels after a really hard workout at the gym. And when you, mm -hmm. if you've ever done a really hard workout at the gym, you're emitting the same hormones, which is why when you leave the gym, you're like, what's up? Yeah, I did that. <laughs> you never leave and are like, damn, I wish I didn't do that. You're like, this mm -hmm. was great. This was really good. So I think this conversation and the things that we're asking your revolutionaries to do is to create these spaces where everybody can enjoy this explosion of good, happy hormones. I call them the happy hormones, which is why when someone walks in the next day after they got some last night and was really good, they do have a glow. They really are experiencing a positive physiological reaction. Right. You're like, mm, exactly. you got some last night, didn't you? Yeah, you did. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> I'll be all up in my business. And actually, all I got to leave early it. today. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like Jill Scott said, is it the way? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it, it, exactly. So I, I think what we hear is that we have to figure out how to how do we be allies there? You revolutionaries have to figure out how to be an ally for your folks, in particular as black men as they explore. Right. Give give the brothers an opportunity to explore who they are. Right. And, and, and in a sense that it creates a safe space. We, we I, I think we talk about the themes of communication and safety and not worrying and just allowing people to just be in this world. Right. If sex is health, we want everybody to live. Right. Absolutely. Think about that. Yes, we want everybody to live. It's a, it's a, it is a part of who we are. Think about, as doctor said, the oxytocin, the serotonin, the, do, doc, the, the, uh, the dopamine, dopamine, the prolactin. You're right. Right. All, all the good things that 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 feeling of euphoria, like mm, this was good. And guess what? I want to do this again. And, and, and we don't want this to be in a trauma filled space. Right. Because relationships can be right. You can have great sex and have a horrible relationship. So we would love we would love for them. And, and that could be another conversation for us to have. But um, yeah, how, how to have, have, yeah, that's my thing. How do you have great sex in a great relationship? Uh, I haven't figured that out yet, but that's another conversation. Um, but I want us to feel like, hey, when I wake up or when you go out or after you listen to this conversation, I know how to go out and have great sex because I want to find someone or someones that I don't have to worry, that I can communicate with uh, about my sexual needs and that we can explore those things together without shame and that we feel, feel some kind of way. And I think... What happens, particularly, and this is my hypothesis, Doc, is that when we go out and explore, we're missing something in a sexual relationship, right? And men typically, we, you know, uh, interestingly enough, the, the research around men and infidelity is, is higher, um, but it's not as the disparity between men and women and infidelity is not as great as we think it is, right? Women, women also actually commit infidelity uh, at, at a larger clip than we think. So something's missing, but it, oftentimes the research says that there's an emotional uh, aspect. So men in a heterosexual relationship or whatever, you need to figure out how you're not meeting your your partner's emotional needs because emotions for, at least from my hypothesis, emotions lead to, well, I'm emotionally secure over here. I'm going to allow my physical secureness to go along with this as well. And so understanding that doc i know we could talk for hours and i had many more questions right many, many more questions for you and maybe there's a, a a part two to this conversation but one of the last things that i want to ask you because my my revolutionaries are always like there are practical things that i need i want to i want to have great sex tonight as we said earlier so what are three or four steps that people can take charge or enhance their sexual experience right tonight. now that you would get tonight today this week right right now um, you know right right now right they're already right, getting I can, undressed they're about to do it right now. right exactly like i'm I'm listening like i'm unbuttoning my shirt like what can i what can i take from dr sanjaya 
Well, I love to say like the home-based, my home-based kit for stimulating some great sex tonight is if you have Altoids or a similar type mint, you know, the same thing it does in your tongue, it also can do on our sexual organs. Now, be warned, I've had clients who did the wrong thing and not 14 outloads, Altoids, a fourth of one. Start with one fourth of one. You know, you got to cut it or bite it, right? So I love the Altoids, especially if you're going to be doing some oral stimulation. It's just a new, exciting thing that, and if you have a mint at home, it's something that can be easily done. Another great, um, easy, fun thing to do is ice. Crush up some ice in a bucket. I say crush it up first because you don't want a big old ice cube in your mouth. You're out of bed. You're like, I got to cut it. I got to get it down to size to make it. You want a small little shape, you know, a piece of ice that's big enough to make an impact, but not big enough that you can't move your mouth, you know, and you can play with the hot and cold sensations with someone when you're stimulating someone either through massage or through if you're massaging, you know, their sexual organs with your mouth, you know, through oral stimulation. But if you have a nice piece of ice in your mouth and ice does melt, which is why I recommend a bowl of crushed ice, a bowl of pre-crushed ice is by the bed because it you is, can't it use, can be, you can't use that bourbon, that bourbon, uh, that, that bourbon ice cube, a little too big. No, no. And you don't want any big ice cubes. And another great one is, you know, champagne. And if you're not drinking apple cider, pop a bottle of bu bubbly, Put a little, this is particularly good for women who are getting ready to perform fellatio on their man, um, Put a, especially for women who don't like to perform fellatio. This is what I say, put something in your mouth that has some sparkle um, in it, and um, you can hold that in your mouth while you're holding your man in your mouth, and it's just another way of stimulation. You can then drink it. You can fill your mouth up with more, so there's different ways that you can... Um, you can get over your reluctance to perform fellatio. Um, and it offers another level of stimulation for your partner. And if anyone's been, um, if anyone's into TikTok, which everyone except me seems to be, you know, me, I did, I'm, not a, uh, I'm, not, I, I'm not a TikToker. Not a TikTok. I, but I did have to do an episode on the TikTok vaginal melts because I had so many medical students asking about them. Wow. And I didn't know that it was this phenomenon. TikTok. Wait, you got to you got to you got to you got to give a, the the one minute synopsis of that. What is a TikTok vaginal melt? Well, they're vaginal melts. I guess they're heavily advertised on TikToks, but they are a form of a lubricant. So doctors can give you, you know, a suppository and a lubricant. You know, in in it looks like a little small. Bean. I'm trying to think of a shape like maybe the size of a piece of popcorn that a woman can put inside of her, particularly if she's, you know, maybe a breast cancer survivor or an ovarian cancer survivor or a transgender female, who, someone who needs additional lubrication. So these vaginal melts that are being advertised on TikTok are the same principle, except they're very, they're flavored like watermelon, like chocolate covered cherries. Like I remember telling one guy I was doing this interview with someone who's like, why would someone want to taste that during sex? I'm like, apparently this is a phenomenon. Some people want to taste hey. cotton candy instead of their woman, you know, whatever, you know, um, but that's another thing that might be a fun trick if you have some tonight, because apparently these are hot sellers. So a lot of people do have them in their, in their house. So um, to add a little flavor, especially for ladies who might want to encourage their men to do a little something other than penetration um, to make sure that um, you're maximizing your opportunities for multiple orgasms tonight. <laughs> 
multiple orgasms. Yes. Multiple, multiple orgasms. And um, that is a whole nother conversation. We've definitely got to have a part and two. And don't forget the have... taint. If you're going to do it tonight, don't forget the taint. There, that's it. The, <laughs> that, <laughs> cannot... space, <laughs> that space right between um, the, that space <laughs> right between your front and back um, organs. That special sweet spot is generally sensitive for almost every adult um just about every adult there's some sensitivity there so a little light light stimulation there a little light petting maybe some light licking um you know a little light stimulation there might be something to um wake up your love life on a tuesday there night. you go they, they don't, on, on a tuesday Thursday. night Look, revolutionaries, this 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 is going to go down as one of those conversations, one of those ed- educational, uh, fun, right, enjoyable, you know, and for the people who are watching, you know, you get to see Dr. Sanjaya and like th- this uh, amazing educator, sex educator, researcher who gets up at 5 a.m. in the morning. So you, you, you can see that she is she's pretty fit. Um, and so she's fit mentally, physically, and, and it go to, and she is the America's sex educator. So she is also sexually adept, uh, in giving the information. I won't talk about her prowess. Um, so, um, you said you weren't going to tell anybody. I did did not, I did not, I I will not tell any, any more. I know I won't, I won't tell any more. I won't, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, thank you. That's all I got to say. Thank you. Um, I wasn't worried. So <laughs> I wasn't worried. So thank you. I, it was wonderful and it was safe. Uh, I really hope your partners are going to listen to this. So, uh, <laughs> so revolutionaries, this is an opportunity as we think about who we are and who we want to be, right? The critical takeaway from this is I want us to know that sex is health, right? And we shouldn't feel like talking about sex is a taboo thing, right? Dr. Sanjaya has, Dr. Sanjaya Kenya has made her mark in the world her revolution is really educating us around how do we have great sex and with great sex we lead a more healthy life because as we said early in the show great sex will make you want to stay home and staying home hopefully is a very safe place for you and thinking about what that looks like that's the revolution right having the conversation communicating having the most robust sex of your life will lead to hopefully greater sexual outcomes and having a partner or partners right that you feel safe that you can explore with will allow you to have a greater more explicit right experience in life and hopefully greater help so dr sanjaya i am so happy i'm looking forward to the next conversation because we didn't talk about toys we didn't talk about multiple orgasm we didn't talk (laughs) there's you know how do you how do we break toxic cycles of dating in a sexual relationship because we (laughs) you know some of us end up in toxic relationships because of the sex so all the things so i know that we will have a chance to talk again i look forward to being on your show as well Please go and check out Dr. Sanjaya Kenya, S-O-N-J-I-A-K-E-Y-A, America's Sex Educator. Um, Her podcast and book are of the same name, Sex in South Beach, if I'm correct. So make sure there there you go, Sex in South Beach. And if you're ever in Miami, uh, you know, you want to have a conversation about sex please go see it. Revolutionaries, I love you. It is a wonderful time. Thank you, New Orleans, New Orleans, for giving me space to be who I am, to love, to revel, to see my boys, to see my people, to see my friends. I love you. I'll see you next time. Revolutionaries, always, always be able to answer what we think here is the most thought-provoking question of your life. What's a revolution? We'll talk to you soon. Peace.
get that that feeling of euphoria, like, hmm, this was good. And guess what? I want to do this again.